Hello and welcome to the Cinetific Institute. I am podcast professor Jason Harding. And I am podcast professor Atticus Blake. And here at the Institute, we take a popular movie and examine its science to see if it lives up to rigorous testing, right? Yes. I, I just what? got my PhD in PhDology. <laughs> Wow, you're doing so great. I don't even know what that is. What's it's a, it's a PhD in multiple PhDs. At oh, once. I get it. You, you just... mean a forever a forever student. Yes, I'm still in school, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> what movie are we going to be examining the science of this time around? We are doing 1984's Dune, the adaptation Dune. of Frank Herbert's wonderful novel written in 1969. <laughs> And directed by David Lynch. I bet there's no iffy science in that. <laughs> Not one bit. It's all feasible. You can get turned guys into testicle fish and they can... With vagina <laughs> mouths? <laughs> With vagina mouths? And you can make super huge... There are worms that can eat everything, apparently. Does, does it eat the carry-all? No, it doesn't. It, does oh, it eat the yes, it does. Oh, does it eat the harvester? It okay. eats it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's right, dude. But first, we have to do a tiny little segment that we like to call... We were fucking wrong. You know, we've spent years in fictitious universities studying to become the podcast professors that we are today, but that does not mean that we're not infallible. Isn't that correct, Professor Professor Blake? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I no, you're I'm infallible. You're you're flawed. No, okay, I'm I'm kidding. I'll, I'll Whoa. <laughs> okay, I know boomer. everything. I know everything and you know everything else. See? That's how true. That works? Yes. And if you can't if you don't know what you don't know, well, yeah. then I know it. See? There you go. But <laughs> we can be absolutely wrong on occasion, so that's why we invite the listeners to please leave a comment on our SoundCloud channel and tell us when we're fucking wrong or to add additional information that we did not include in the previous episode and that previous episode was independence day and we got some we got we got well we, we got quite a few comments but we, uh very few absolute disagreements like a bunch of what ifs and then hey how about this is but uh one one disagreement that i saw twice both from francois lacombe and from ryan uh-huh. carr was they don't outrun the blast they stupidly try to but they don't now uh, i okay. think what i was actually trying to say was if you look at the shot in the film it appears for a few seconds as if the 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 blast is moving slower than the people are running and then that would be a filming problem not actually a physics yeah. problem and uh, right. I don't know why I said, how do they outrun the blast? I just meant, it looks stupid. That it looks like they are, <laughs> it literally, you see people running away and the blast is very, a slow moving wall coming towards them. It just looks, it looks dumb as hell. So that was a brain mouth error. Yes. And okay. uh, let me see. From Sir Kitalot. Um he said, uh, at no point did they say they don't have any mouths. They did say that they had no vocal cords, which was uh, why they communi- tele- telepath- communicated telepathically. However, Jason, what did you find? I found out through the fandom of Independence Day that they lack vocal cords and mouths. So they don't have any um, any uh, instruments for speech in their body. Now, you could say that maybe they just shove food into a different orifice that we don't see, which is fine. My question was, how do they eat if they don't have a mouth? And that is still my question. How do they eat? How do they ingest nutrients and carbohydrates, assuming that their bodies work on 
on the same kind of, you know, same kind of system we do. How do they absorb nutrients and get it into their body? Or breathe. That's another thing, because I did not see a nose. So maybe they have, like, a mouth and a nose on their back that we didn't see. <laughs> but a- according to the designers of the movie and the fandom, they they lack both nostrils and a mouth. Nostrils, duh, vocal cords, and a mouth. So, thanks, Sir Kidalot, for trying to make me look stupid. How dare you? I'm going to take you down. Um, and uh, we had a what if that I kind of liked, which was Francois Lacombe actually did this. I had to look at the phase of the moon on two on the second of July, nineteen ninety. Now remember, we need to we need to reference what they're what they're talking about first. He's talking about the giant mothership approaching Earth, right? Yes. Okay. Um, and uh, so we our claim was that it would be seen from a long way off, which it would. But he's saying on that particular day, the moon was full at the time, which means that the very nearly full Earth from the mothership flies toward at the beginning of the movie is impossible. The Earth at this time, as seen from the moon, would have been um, uh, at most a thin crescent. We love that our listeners go and actually find the star date and tell you exactly where the Earth and the moon are. I would also like to say that unless he's, it's completely in the moon's shadow, it also would have a thin outline, right? Mm-hmm. And I would hope, hope, that human beings would notice the weirdly shaped outline next to the moon and go, what the fuck is that during the day <laughs> exactly. that I can see during the day? Yes. Um, okay, what else? Uh, let me see. Um, actually, we have four gas giants, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. That was Sir Kittelock. However, directly underneath, Francois Lacombe says, technically, we have two gas giants, Jupiter and Saturn, and two ice giants, Uranus and Neptune, which I didn't know that you would consider those two ice giants. So I learned which something ones? new. Uh, Uranus nope. and Neptune. Oh, okay. I didn't. I thought they were gas giants. Me? Okay. Me? All right. Me? Did you see anything else? Um, nothing specifically. A lot of additional information. Um, and that's always great. So, guys, if you hear anything that we talk about today during Dune that you disagree with or you want to add additional information, then please go to the uh, comment section for this uh, podcast in SoundCloud. All right. So. Okay. Jason knows that this is one of my very favorite novels. It's not my number one anymore, but it was for a very long time. And one of my very favorite authors. His new favorite is Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. (laughs) No, Brotherhood of the Traveling Fifi. What are you kidding me? Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. (laughs) Are you sure you don't want Jeff to come in? (laughs) I'm positive. Come on. All right. Uh, And this movie is directed by one of my very favorite directors, uh, the beloved David Lynch, who... Unfortunately, though he was a he's an artist, had to make this awful, awful train wreck of a movie, which I still well, love because it's directed by him. But goddamn, it is so bad. They had twelve hours of book, and they tried to pack it into a two hour, two and a half hour movie. Exactly, and so. it did. They failed miserably. So I'm wondering how Dennis Bellevue will do. I think he'll do an excellent job. It looks good. Looks like okay. it'll be good. I haven't seen anything about it. Oh, oh, there's already still shots that you can see online. A few of them. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. It, and this. Oh my God! It's it's the cast. The cast will make you fucking okay. come all over your own face. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways. I'll, you know what? I'll set up the experiment to see if it does exactly that. We're going to need some paid volunteers. Just wear a condom when you go into the theater. <laughs> no, that would that would not. Remember, the experiment is to see if they come, come in their own face. Well, I... And the condom would prevent that from happening. Oh, well, I mean, it, yeah. All right, all right, all right. We need to develop a chair so that they're at the right angle so they're locked into it. You do know, you guys do know the show is not for kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
and more so it now does, that I've joined. It does carry an explicit title, so... It does. All right, All so right. what thing did you want to start with, right? Well, it sounds like you have a list of things that you have beat for beat, right? I have beat for beat, starting with space folding technology, All right? Okay. Wait, wait, actually, space... did you want to start off with your questions, and I'll try to approach them from my answers, or what? No, let's start with the, how it's okay. presented in the film. And, okay, just so everybody knows, a thing that is presented in the film may not have an explanation in the film because David Lynch is the most expositionless director ever. <laughs> However, that thing in the beginning with Princess Irulan explaining a whole shitload. And if you're ta- if we're talking about the original theatrical version, it's only about five minutes of her talking where she yeah. does that. Probably David Lynch absolutely hated it, but they felt like it needed to be there and they did it. Right. Um, however, uh, if I'm going to explain a thing in the movie, I'm probably going to go by the book. Okay. Um, because if it's not if it's not explained, then how would we even know what we're looking at? Right. Um, and then we're going to talk about whether or not it's science. Uh, now, did you want to add your caveat about our explanations here that um, it, yes. it, the, the science so, has to we have to look at it from the science of your no you go ahead yeah so a lot of people would like to use alternate dimension science saying well maybe if it's an alternate reality the, the the laws of physics are different we're not doing that we're using the laws of physics in our universe and the laws of chemistry and the laws of biology saying it's in a different reality so it's perfectly fine no it's not okay you can you can solve for anything if you say it's in a different reality reality you can you can say that the alice in wonderland universe is is because the the multiverse theory physics yeah exactly (laughs) all right so let's start with one of the big enchiladas space folding technology so Uh so in this one all they do is say they fold space they do not explain how it's done other than to explain that the guild navigators pla- uh, plan a trip and then yeah. so that you don't smash into a star. The same, It's the same principle as in the Star Wars universe. You have to plan, you have to map the trip except their computers are capable in the Star Wars universe. But here, they use a human mind that has been mutated over thousands of years. They literally call it traveling without moving. Right. So. Okay. Uh, so I, what happens in the movie? Okay. This big testicle fish comes out. <laughs> and he goes, and then, a, and then a planet shows up and then he goes, and then a another planet shows up and all of a sudden a cartoon spaceship just goes Mew, and disappears and then reappears <laughs> next to Arrakis. <laughs> right. And he's like, <laughs> right. hey, we did it. Yay, we're here. And they, it is called the Highliner, which in the in the Dune universe, can it, it is not just a ship, but it is a ship that holds thousands of other ships. That's from the uh-huh. book, not the movie. Um, uh-huh. It's so that the transport doesn't have to do it multiple times. It's actually pretty, it's still pretty expensive. But, mm-hmm. okay, so my little blurb on this. In the Dune right. universe, folding space-time is chiefly accomplished by manipulation of a Holtzman field named after uh, Dr. Holtzman. Okay. Hello. <laughs> um, which which creates the Holtzman effect, allowing ships to okay. travel to any area of the universe without moving. The Holtzman field, according to the novels, is also the chief explanation behind the shields, which can repel fast attacks as well as slow ones. It is the explanation okay. for the suspensors, uh, which is uh, self-exclamatory. It holds the fat baron up. The Holtzman wave, and an instantaneous. It is the instantaneous communication device that they use, and the glow mm. globes. It is mainly produced by a Holtzman generator. It's not thoroughly okay. explained how the fields work, but it is written that it works on the quantum level to create a stable yet normally usable Einstein-Rosen bridge, 
or white hole or wormhole through which a, a ship can safely travel. That's not possible mm-hmm. yet, but because we have yet to see a stable wormhole, or one that could right. be large enough or stable enough that we could travel through. However, in mm-hmm. this universe, it is possible, but not without peril, which is why we need the Guild Navigators, which is the next thing that I wrote about. Okay. So so the Guild Navigators just push a bunch of buttons and levers to do it? No. So. Okay. How do they, how do, they do it? In the, in the movie, she says, the Guild Navigators have been mutated over thousands of years and by the orange spice, spice gas, which isn't too far different from the novel. However, in the Dune universe, there exists a super conglomerate uh, space traveling agency called the Guild. And contained uh-huh. with the, in, within the Guild is what is known as a navigator. Um, because space travel through uh, space folding is perilous without a pre-planned trip through the navigator, a generally ancient, thousands of years old, mutated human with prescient abilities uses uh-huh. said abilities along with the spice melange to plan a safe trip through space. That's pretty much it. That's like the gist of it. So they use mind powers. Uh, yeah, so they're able to reach out into the universe, and this is an explanation from the book, not not the not the movie. However, I think that if you're gonna watch the movie, it's probably better that you have read the book. And mm. and uh, Frank Herbert is, is, is like noted as saying this: read the book if you want to enjoy the movie. Please, I like getting money. Okay, <laughs> I like money, and he. Well, I mean, I think it's sold <laughs> about thirty million copies worldwide. Well, I'm sure. I but think. Let's break this down, shall we? Yeah. The Holtzman field. Mm-hmm. Is it a thing? Uh, no. <laughs> you mean a force field that repels things? Uh, not, not in the way that we see it in the movie, where we see uh, Gurney and Paul fighting uh, Captain Picard <laughs> Hot mm-hmm. Pants who was still bald in 1984. What the fuck? Uh, Alright. <laughs> he, 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 he never had hair, the poor guy. Uh, so this beautiful bald man attacks a beautiful butt-chinned Paul, and uh, they turn on their shields, and uh, they literally collide with each other such that they actually bounce off of each other's fields. However, when mm-hmm. they slowly move through it the kin- with the kinjal, they are able to get through. <coughs> it's able to repel like, bullets and um, fend off explosions, like a grenade exploding next to it would knock the person aside but not, not mm-hmm. kill them. Uh, okay. That doesn't exist. <laughs> so it doesn't exist. No. So um, let's talk about folding space-time, okay? okay? Because it is a theoretical... It's a, it's a theory in physics, right? Mm-hmm. Just as wormholes are a theory yes. in physics. Yes. They're very, they're very theoretical. And they're kind of old. The first um, theorized wormholes were back in 1916. Uh, but they weren't called that at the time, right? Well, they were called um, white holes, I think. Uh, I can't... Yeah, it's a white hole. Um, and they theorized that you know that it was like a time reversal of a black hole and that entrances to those black and white holes could be connected by a space-time conduit yeah. we now know that is completely wrong all a black hole does is tear you into teeny tiny little pieces um, and then shoots you out the other way oh man you're gonna hate me when we do the episode on interstellar <laughs> anyway um so actually um as i understand it and i did a little reading earlier today a wormhole if it were stable would only be capable of moving the person in time to the exact point that they are actually at. Mm-hmm. At mm-hmm. a different time, uh, probably. We're talking about literally folding space-time. Yes. So you're reaching out from one end of the universe, light years across and another, and then bringing them together just like mm-hmm. the description in the Event Horizon, as well as the description in Interstellar. It folds space and then once you go through, it allows, it allows space to go back to normal. Right. Yeah. How much energy would that take? Oh, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> 
an infinite amount of energy. <laughs> because it's still theoretical. The idea that you can fold space-time. Now, we're talking about the weirdest part of astrophysics at this point. We're talking about, we're talking about what is space-time and what it is made out of. And all of the best models so far is that anything like a wormhole or folding, because folding space is a little bit different than a wormhole, you're literally saying that you're bringing two parts, like uh, the one that they use in movies all the time. Take a piece of paper, and you have, you're on one edge of the paper, and you want to go to the other, other one, and you, you pull the two pieces together you poke a hole through it and then that's the the ship traveling from one side mm -hmm. to the other it's also um called a tesseract in madeline anglin's books a wrinkle in time in which they use uh an ant and a piece of string i think is or the hem of someone's dress there's an ant at one side of the the, dre the hem of the dress and the other hand represents where they want to go they fold it and the ant cro crosses across and then you unfold it I think it's only going to remain theoretical. I think it's mathematical, the mathematically theoretical. But for something like that to occur in nature, I don't know what conditions would need to be met in order for it to happen naturally. Much you might less... want to test it in a space that might, that's not near the planet. <laughs> I mean, it, it just seems, I, I think it's a really neat concept, but the idea that someone is, had, number one, he had to make up a thing in order to get it to work, right? He had to create the, the what is it called? The honky funky? The Holtzman. Holtzmuller? The Holtzman field, right? Mm -hmm. which, seemed, which he seems to use a lot to solve a lot of problems in his universe. Well, uh, yeah, but it's not really thoroughly described until his son takes over the novels and goes, and goes hey, I found a bunch of dad's notes. Let's write some books and make some <laughs> money kevin j anderson there's a couple of really really convenient things in the dune in the dune universe that fixes a lot of problems or causes them if you really want to look at it a particular way oh he, he definitely them, goes over the consequences pretty thoroughly and i i like yeah. that's what i like about him one is that and the other one is the spice melange ah which is the which, next thing i wanted to talk about which is okay <laughs> so i'm gonna call bunko on the whole folding space by using testicle fish uh yeah, sure. Let's call Bunko. <laughs> Great in Heimdall, theory, but open the bridge. <laughs> Bunko on that too. Um, the spice melange, which is a... not actually a spice. Okay. It's a cinnamon-smelling and flavored narcotic derived from the fungal excretions of the sand trout of Arrakis. Again, book explanation, not movie explanation. Right. Uh, this happens during what is known as a spice blow, which actually kills Dr. Kynes. And in the movie, they said, send him out into the desert. You see that, but you don't see him die. Send him out to die, yeah. In the you movie. You don't see him die. Uh, yeah. whereby the excretions create uh, pressure under the sands of dune until they explode upward to the surface and react with the atmosphere and the heat to create the spice. It is an addictive, mind-altering drug that awakens the dormant powers of the human mind, including, but not limited to, prescient abilities, expanded computational abilities, nimbler movement, and longer life. And it, it is not without its drawbacks, though. It's not just addictive. It also creates a dependence directly proportional to the amount that's used, i.e. the guilt navigators swim in the orange spice gas and must be fed a constant supply of it. It is it is responsible for interstellar commerce, human advancement, as well as most, if not all, of the human wars in the Dune universe. Mm -hmm. The sandworms of Dune protect the spice and collecting it is perilous. The guild uses it. The Bene Gesserit use it. The Fremen use it um, in the Fremen orgies. Everybody. The Mentats use it. And it is in the home, it is in home use and in recreational use. So are there any other drugs 
like it. Well, it's not technically. It's technically it would be a drug. It's not a spice. It's just called one, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Spices are herbal. You don't see a whole lot of ground up animal parts used as a spice. Mm-hmm. So um, I only had one problem with their explanation. What? Well, I did have a lot of problems with all the explanations, but one of the ones stuck out. Dormant. It said it it wakens dormant parts of the human mind. Yep. Are there dormant parts of the human mind? Uh, no, that whole 10% thing is actually just recently, not recently, but more recently people are starting Has to realize always that been horseshit. You're not just, you're not, you're just not aware of everything that's going on, but your brain right. is constantly active. Your brain has jobs. It has jobs. Yeah. And be thankful you don't have to think about them. Oh my God. If you actually had, if you were aware of everything. Okay. I'm pumping my heart, pumping my heart, pumping my heart, pumping my heart. Shit. Breathe, I breathe, stopped. Pumping. <laughs> make sperm, make sperm, make sperm, make sperm. <laughs> Pituitary, pituitary, pituitary. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm running. I got to make my heartbeats faster. I forgot to breathe. Sweat, 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 sweat. (laughs) Right. So your brain is constantly, you may may not be conscious of it, but you have several levels of perception beyond the five senses that everyone notes, right? Sense, what what is it? Sight, sound, taste, taste, touch, and smell. Smell and touch, right? Mm -hmm. Others will include equilibrium, your balance, mm-hmm. right? Your sense of balance and sense of self. Okay, now sense of self is kind of hard, is a little bit more hard to explain. But wherever you are right now, I am sure you're listening to this podcast and your body right now is in touch with things and doing things that it itself is ignoring and you're ignoring as well. If you're sitting in a chair, unless it becomes uncomfortable, your body isn't constantly telling you you're sitting in a chair. You're in a chair. Okay? You're in a chair. You're in a chair. You're in a chair. <laughs> Um, I, yes, yes, I agree. Um, so I don't yeah. believe in you know, waking up dormant parts that allow you to, allows you to become psychic. Are the Benny Generates psychic? They are in the movie. Um, it's not explained. Okay. So I don't think in any of the novels there is telepathy, but, uh, as far as psychic ability is, I think that what they describe it as has more to do with the human ability to read each other in a way that you, you recognize motion of eyes, motion of hands, motion of feet, the way uh-huh. a person is standing, okay. the way the person's speaking. Well, remember we're, we're talking in the book okay are the bene Gesserit psychic can psychic. they read minds okay so in the movie they do not show this um in the book there is a scene in the book where paul has just defeated the the sardaukar terror troops on dune this is near the end of the book uh-huh. and all of a sudden he is sitting on the dais the throne in Arakeen where his father once sat and he's finally defeated okay. and they're they're about to round up all of the emperor's men the Wait, are we talking about the book again <clears throat> yes okay <laughs> And uh, he he's looking he's looking around and he's talking to his friends and they're like what's wrong with you Muad'Dib um, mm-hmm. and he says my son is dead and he does, mm-hmm. how he knows this you don't know until all of a sudden <laughs> Frank Herbert turns on the internal monologue something that's considered a faux pas these days in writing yeah Alia communicates with him psychically sending words in now what he describes it as is not actually psychic but I would say is psychic. She sends his her thoughts into the future. So his son actually died a, a, quite a while earlier. This is Leto the first, mm. not Leto the second. The infant was killed in the raid. So yeah, he, we don't. Tells, you're, you're getting into the book stuff. Okay, but he tells. <laughs> yeah. 
she tells him, "I'm sorry, dear brother, but your your son your son is dead. Here is a power that uh, I have that you even you do not, even though you uh, are the Kwisatz Haderach. Uh, you, I, I, I can send my thoughts into the future. That's pretty in the movie. In the movie, in they the don't movie. show it. No, they do. What uh, what scene? The emperor turns to the Bene Gesserit and says, "I want you to use telepathy while they're here." And does she he goes, say telepathy? Yes, he does. Do I need? I'm gonna pull he up says, the script, motherfucker. Okay, and she goes, "Yes, my lord." And then she says. Before they even open the door, they're here, my lord. She goes into an antechamber, sits down, and eavesdrops on their conversation using telepathy. Now, I always know what I always described that as, uh, or thought of that was is that she can hear it because her ears are that sensitive. Uh-uh. That, no, no, no. In the book, all right. I, we're not doing the book. We're doing the movie. <laughs> I believe in the book they don't do it but in the no, movie No they would describe specific- something like that as a hypersensitive power where she can hear what's going on. I yeah in the book they would but in the movie he specifically says telepathy. Um I am no 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 don't you go somewhere I'm finding in page uh telepathy. <laughs> <coughs> I sh- oh no he says that. I shall want yeah, telepathy during this this and a report mm-hmm. when we're finished. Mm-hmm. And she sticks around too long and then they tell they tell him that they want the Bene Gesserit witch to leave. And in another instance while sh- they're looking over look while her and Lady Jessica are looking at Paul, who's pretending to be asleep, she knows that he's awake. Then he asks asks her to share with him his thoughts and dreams after the uh, Gamjabar. But they don't. No, they do that in the book, not in the movie. No, they do it in the movie. She presses her palm against his his forehead. Uh, okay, I guess that you can call that telepathy. They call it telepathy, but to me, I've read the book, so I know mm. that she's not actually using telepathy. And in another one, yeah. in our, uh, Aaliyah is in the uh, Emperor's... Oh, uh, and he says, he says, can you really... That's actually from the novel. Can you really project your thoughts? Can you really project your thoughts into the mind of another? And then the, the Reverend Mother goes, I don't understand how she's here, but she's here. Uh-uh. It's when the Reverend Mother starts screaming, get her out of my mind. Oh, no, no. I'm talking... Talking about the TV version of the, the book. The... I'm, we're only talking about the Lynch version. Okay. She says, "Get out of my mind." And she's yeah, and she I mean, uses the, Lynch the voice one. and says, "Yeah, not until you that the, not until, not you, until you tell them who I really am." Daughter of Tukleto the Just. Uh-huh. So in the movie, they established telepathy. Even if it wasn't present in the book, yeah. we've gone over this before. Telepathy is not a thing. Um, so that's out. What else can the spice do? You okay, know no, no, no. What I was going to say was, was there are drugs yeah. that can do similar things. Okay, so if you. To telepathy? No, 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 no. no. To the spice. Oh, okay. God damn, okay. dude. I'm not that crazy. Um, so the caffeine has an effect on the brain that makes the thought makes thoughts come faster, uh, mm-hmm. excites the heart, excites the heart rate. Um, it also uh, di- uh, dial not dilates, constricts the blood vessels. Um, mm-hmm. It can do it can do a lot of things that make you more hypersensitive. It actually, makes the skin more hypersensitive. Uh, nicotine does all of those same things. Um, yep. Then there are other. Um, there are mind-bending drugs like LSD and MDMA, which are acid and ecstasy that can make you trip. Not that there's right. anything actually physically going on. However, during the spice orgy in the book and um, and during the movie when he's when he's seeing things, supposedly what's happening is he is seeing the future, the past. He is yeah. He is, and it is a mind-altering drug that does something similar to those things. However, it's actually happening for him. Whereas in our universe, yeah. when you take LSD, you're just eating colors and balls. smelling music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he can he it makes him it, which they didn't cover in the synopsis you read. It makes him clairvoyant. He can see the future. Yeah, he can see the future. Right. Yeah, and that's something. There's they a cover moment in the movie in the, also the when book. he. 
re- in the movie where he says the emperor is coming and the emperor is coming but no one's told him that he wakes up and says the emperor is coming and that's what prompts him to drink the water of life because he's reached the limitations of what he can quote unquote see now remember I'm just talking about in the movie so is there a drug that can make someone clairvoyant see into the future no yeah okay thank you <laughs> you're actually yeah. asking me this question I am I am this is the whole point of the whole thing is to ask questions <laughs> now I had one thing yeah I'm totally that... clapping Agnes. um uh, your daughter's it's inside the house picking her nose and she just <laughs> farted into the couch and it's going to stay there for an hour uh in in your synopsis it did synopsis. also not uh, in your synopsis it did not mention that it was a mutagen uh, meaning like a cancerous thing? <laughs> no, meaning like the the exposure, prolonged exposure to the spice is what turns, and now this is in the movie, I don't know if it's the same in the book, that no, turns regular, that or, regular ordinary people into giant blobby tentacle fish um, I men think with that vagina that's mouths. only if you choose the path of the guild navigator, and that's in the book. However, you can be a mentat uh, for a thousand, hundreds, of, if not thousands of years, who can, who can continue Continually choose to stay in the shape of the human form. So you, there is a you actually get to choose if you want to stay. Oh, they human. can in their novel in the novels they describe that the pe- the person can easily contain and they can make themselves uh, not age. You okay. Know, uh, the so Baron, the turn- Baron is supposedly, I think, in the book, he's he's hundreds of years, like a hundred, more than a hundred years old, and he yeah, still has movie, red doesn't hair. He, doesn't he look so so darn healthy his, in the movie? My old Baron, your skin, <laughs> your love skin, to me. like love to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, David uh, Lynch, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Have you ever heard, just as a side note, Jodorowsky was another director who also directed trippy movies, and he's an artist as well. Uh, he was optioned to make the make Dune a, a few years before David Lynch, and it was canceled. However, there's a there's a movie called Jodorowsky's Dune where he says, "When I heard that David Lynch was going to direct it, I thought, my God, David Lynch is an artist. He will do a fantastic <laughs> job." And then he says, but then I went to see it in the theater and it was terrible. (laughs) He says this out loud and he's like, and I felt so bad for Lynch. I don't know how to break this to you, but Jodorowsky's would have been a weird bucket of mess. It would have just been, it would have been pretty to look at, but holy shit. Yeah, Jodorowsky pushed a lot of the limitations of film. He yeah. was he was quite insane, you know. Yes, he was. Yeah. Very insane. So anyway, the spice. So in the movie, they make it seem like that prolonged exposure turns into a testicle fish. But the Fremen are exposed <laughs> with a vagina to spice. Yeah. And all that happens with them is the saturation the of the people. blood by the spice melange, known as the eyes of the Ebad. Yeah, their eyes turn blue within blue. They have blue irises and blue around the irises. Then there's no whites to their eyes, mm-hmm. right? Which, uh, if it's going to do that to your eyes, I've always had the feeling it would do it would do it to your skin as well. Because when, okay, so uh, the only similar thing that I can think of, and maybe some other my biology friends like Micro can come in and say this, the only thing that I can think of that is similar is when a person goes into liver failure, one of the first things uh-huh. that a person notices as a result.
result of hepatitis or cirrhosis of the liver is that their eyes will begin to turn yellow. And it because of the, the toxins being excreted into their blood that aren't being removed by the liver and the kidneys. Mm. Um, if this goes on long enough, the skin will begin to turn yellow, like noticeably, yes. disgustingly yellow. Uh, I've That's actually, what we call jaundice. Yeah. And yeah. It, it at, at a certain point after the person can no longer benefit from, say, dialysis or anything like that, mm. they turn an almost yellowy orange color. Oh. And they begin, you know, they you can you can mitigate it by taking things like lactulose, which uh, lactulose is a drug um, that gives a person diarrhea. Uh, that's It's meant to help uh-huh. them as a diuretic. However, if you take it, one of the side effects of it is that it removes ammonia from your blood. And if you take it four or five times a day, it means that you will constantly have diarrhea all day, but you're also getting the ammonia and other toxins out of your system um, via the anus. It burns, it hurts, mm-hmm. it sucks. I've watched people die. So, anyways, if you're taking a drug that dyes your eyes blue, I have the feeling that it would probably turn the person's skin blue as well. There's, I have one. Yeah. Argeria. What's that? Silver poisoning. Oh, it turns the skin blue, right? It, it turns it into like a, a grayish blue color. Yeah. And it's permanent. It doesn't sometimes, I mean, not in all cases, but in many cases, um, once it's discolored, it's discolored. It's discolored. Yeah, there's a silver nitrate ritual in Scientology. I remember, I remember, who's the woman that married uh, Tom Cruise? What's her name? The girl that had... Oh, I don't know. I forgot her name. She was a young girl and she wanted to marry him all her life and then she married him and found out that he was gay, which she doesn't say, but... And then... uh, There was there was a I remember these photos coming up in around two thousand eight or nine where she's wearing gloves and people realize mm-hmm. that on where they can see a p- exposed portion of the skin her hands are blue because a, por- oh. a part of their part of it has I don't know exactly what it is maybe someone can help me out in the comments but they take silver nitrate because supposedly it removes something like thet like maybe thetans thetan poop thetan poop give rid of the thetan poop. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that was that was like a consequence of taking it. But her her hands went back to normal, I think. Okay, so one uh, just one more thing. Um, <coughs> the spice is produced by, and you use this word, the what is it? The sand trout. The sand trout. I'm going to go into the life cycle of the worm if you want to go into the 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 uh, uh, big enchilada. But I mean, it's it's a it's a byproduct of a living organism. Yes. Do they say what it is? Uh, is it shit? So no, it it yes, it is an excretion. It is an excretion. It's okay. a waste product. It's a waste product. Yes. So this incredible drug is the waste product of an animal. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just wanted to establish that there have been people who have been using the waste products of animals for multiple for various things throughout time. Right. At one point, people women were using crocodile shit for makeup. So we're and we were <laughs> stuffing lead into our wounds and then pasting them over with more lead makeup to yeah, and using. <laughs> mercury to get rid of uh, dangerous infections, which made it worse. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So, spice, not a thing. Right? Not a thing. Uh, similar and, things. Uh, micro, I, I talked to Micro for a little bit about the fact that we were going to do this, mm-hmm. and he said, oh, are you going to cover the fact that chemistry doesn't exist in this universe, in the Dune universe? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? And he says, well, in the, I think, I don't know if he's read the book, uh, but it's not in the movie, that the spice uh-huh. can only be produced by as the waste product. It can never be replicated. Oh, yeah. And he says... So it can never be replicated. And he says, well, in chemistry, it's pretty sure that if you, I'm pretty sure you could, you could chemically replicate pretty much anything. So if it's 
with a smaller, mo- large molecule. I can't see. He's right. Yeah. I can't see any reason why we wouldn't be able to reproduce it. What? However, in the Dune books, it takes thousands of years for them to figure out exactly how to do it. I bet we could do it within a matter <coughs> of years. Yeah. Using our technology right now, we could probably figure out not only what it's made out of, but start synthesizing a generic version of it, right? We'd have to call it something else like yeah. Flice or something. <laughs> Well, in um, in the books, I think when they first discover it, which is actually about ten thousand BG before the guild, before this this point in time that we're even watching this film, they discover uh-huh. Arrakis and they discover the spice. and a, And there's a person who is inspecting the spice. I can't remember the story. It was during the Butlerian Jihad, which is the war thousands of years before this, the war against the machines. Um, uh-huh. Who's inspecting the spice? And when they try to chemically synthesize it, there are there are certain chiral centers that actually would misplace them would would displace after they were synthesized like it like what? it had a like the the thing the stuff itself had a mind to think realized what you were doing and said no okay that's, <laughs> that's not, literally okay. like the explanation it's like all right so it's literally magic at this <laughs> <yeah>. point <laughs> There are like there were certain chiral centers that it couldn't it couldn't produce. They couldn't because the way that it's produced by the sandworm, it's it's it it can only be done by them. And and then in those uh-huh. in, in the Dune universe, it goes no 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 don't want bye and then flips the other way. Although you do have to think about it for a second. The closest thing that we have to an excretion that we use on a regular basis is milk. Cheese. Yeah. Well, I mean milk. Well, no. Well, wine. You would. I mean alcohol when we use it is 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 basically bacteria piss true but we don't have synthetic alcohol synthahol no yeah no nor do we have synthetic milk we have synthetic cheese <laughs> yeah it's but that's not American no government fuck cheese. that <laughs> who wants to block a government cheese that's cheese food what that's i mean cheese, is cheese. we could wait now melts <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, if you think about it, we've had milk for a long time. I'm sure scientists have sat down and go, okay, what's in milk? What makes milk milk, right? Now let's see if we can make milk without the whole cow business, mm-hmm. right? Well, we have lactose-free milk. I mean, that's... But that's just the lactate. removal of sugars from milk. Yeah. So that's not the, that's not nearly the same thing as there's there's a factory over there that produces milk without any cows, right? Chemicals and stuff go in, milk comes out the other side. So maybe it isn't as easy as we think think it might be to recreate it especially if it's a very complicated this is also molecule. supposed to be thousands of years into the future true they've had a long time to work on it <laughs> and we still exist and are crossing the universe yeah exactly mm-hmm. all right what's next on your list so the planet itself arrakis, arrakis. So in, in the movie not much is explained about it however in the books Colloquially known as Dune, it is the chief source of the spice melange and the home of the giant sandworm, as well as the people known as the Fremen. Now, if the question is, how can an entirely, entirely desert planet have breathable air? The answer is in the life cycle of the worm. Paul says never. What? Uh, Paul also says never one drop of rain on Arrakis, and this is false. Arrakis used to be a lush green planet that's described in the book by Da Pardo Kynes. And uh, uh-huh. the water is now held deep under the surface by the dunes uh, of the dunes by the sand trough and in the north and south polar regions. But that's okay, how it but looks. I thought those were artificial structures. Otherwise, uh, no. The, I mean, the I mean, it's not artificial. It's, well, yes. I mean, I guess if you consider the 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 sand trout trapping the water so it doesn't come to the surface as an artificial thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but Arrakis is a mostly desert planet. Okay. How? The life cycle of the worm. Okay, so... I'll get into that when we talk about the big enchilada. 
Here's here's the fun things about a planet. You ready? Mm-hmm. Fun things about a planet. It has seasons, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Different temperatures at different and different places. Now you mentioned the polar regions of the planet. Yep, there is ice there. Is there ice There's there? Water ice, yes. And even when they okay. show that, I believe when he says uh, he shows the planets on the screen and says never one drop of rain on Arrakis, it even shows white caps. That is in okay. the books, though. That people people go there to get ice and then bring it down. Okay, so down the entire planet. <laughs> the so entire sorry. planet. The entire planet is. Is doomed, yep. right? It's it's all sand or rock mm-hmm. on the on the surface. There are no plants. Uh, almost none. There, right. There's the creosote bush. Um, there are the there are sand plankton. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that that's about it. There are other plants. They they can plant plants. Like they they actually in the book they talk about them using little pots that they plant in the ground that take yeah. moisture out of the air, kind of like the moisture farming in Star Wars. And then right. when they when they don't need it, they pull the pot out of the sand so that the moisture goes. So into there the is moisture in the atmosphere. A little bit, yeah. Only a little bit? Well, see, the thing is, the story has in it contained is that the, the water of Arrakis is owned by the people of the Fre- the, the people of the Fremen. It is uh-huh. theirs. They own it. Okay. it is, where is it? It's in their bodies. Okay. So the water of Arrakis is... The soul is in the soul of the Fremen, essentially, is what they're saying. In their caches and in their bodies. That's how, but so any moisture that's in the air comes from, comes from them, um, it being excreted from the surface of the sand, either by uh, the imperfect, uh, you know, imbalance of the the sand trout, allowing it to escape to the surface. But it's not a lot. Otherwise, the the drinkable water, any potable water comes from um, people using wind moisture traps and and things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm just having a hard time in picturing a sustainable desert environment mm-hmm. right without there being critical things that are keeping it a desert environment that would be the life you cycle I mean? of the worm that's what keeping it okay. that way <laughs> so you're explaining it away with the with i'm the, not explaining it away frank herbert does it <laughs> and, i mean it's an interesting explanation but i don't know <laughs> okay so we have to hear let's hear the life cycle of the worm we'll okay. circle back to, wait, wait, to arrakis as a planet to uh well let me just go through my little synopsis oh right okay. okay 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 uh, well, it's not described in the movie. The life cycle and physiology of the worm is uh, of no- uh, it's noted by the Fremen and the imperial ecologist Pardo Kynes. They are similar to other annelids or segmented worms of Earth. Um, that's the way he he describes them. Um, however, it doesn't make any sense a little later. So I, let's just okay. They can grow from anywhere to 100 to 400 meters length and average, and have a diameter of 40 meters. Is this possible, Jason? She's. Oh, no, it's not. Why? Well, number one, if they're similar to annelid worms, then they're soft-bodied creatures without an internal skeleton. Okay. In order for in order for something to be that big, even if it was largely just a big fucking tube, right? There's this huge hollow tube, you know, sucking up whatever it wanted and eating it. It would need an internal structure that would be able to keep its... Because we see them in the movie, they're basically round when they're on the surface, right? Mm-hmm. They also need to have a certain amount of structure in them in order to be able to push into the sand that they travel in and be able to apparently dig very deep Mm -hmm. they apparently can go very deep they would also need a muscle muscle attachments on the surface of the skin to 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 connect to scoots that would allow them to travel the way they do i don't know how those words are segments other than like a segments okay 
So this is why it would make more sense for them to be an actual snake-like creature with a skeleton and be warm-blooded. That would mean, well, not, I'm sorry, not warm-blooded. I don't know why I added that. Um, but be a, yeah. have a skeleton and be more like a snake-like creature. Um, right. Because then the bones would be able to hold up the outer structure. But again, you get into the problem of the size. Um, yeah, the size however, is... The, it's the... So the muscles contract and it moves along the sand by using, mm-hmm. by using its... Um, the uh, they're like uh, shells, ring segments that that twitch back and forth and also undulate up and down and and right. slither along the sand. So it makes more sense for it to be right. a snake. Um, that mm-hmm. isn't it isn't described whether or not it in the book it's described as a worm. So having yeah. no skeleton, it, but it would make more sense can, for it to be a right. snake. Right, and it also can travel fairly quickly. Well, this is a massive animal. Yeah, people. This I mean, the fremen use they ride them. So in the in the yeah, book they, they say take the hook of our siege and and ride as a leader of men. What that hook does mm-hmm. the siege hook uh as described in the book and in the and in the movie is the fremen will then call the maker and uh so we're here paul is noted to have summoned a worm known as the great old man of the desert which is almost three thousand meters in length Jesus indicating Christ. that they grow the large they grow uh indicating that with age <laughs> they grow longer and fatter okay so he runs up what will happen is once it comes aside the thumper calls them because they're agitated by by sounds sounds along the sand they they run alongside the worm and they take the hook and punch it into the segment the worm then feels the right. pain of the sand going into that segment and will rotate its body away from the open area in which case okay. they then pound stakes into the into the tough outer end you know so it has worm, a carapace. and then they would and then they would wrap their their um you know bindings and then people would yeah. they would throw a rope over the side and the other from it could go on and they would ride it along the sand. Right. Um, so, so it has a carapace. Yes. It has a tough outer skin. Yes. Their mouths open like the petals of a flower and can be over 80 meters across. They have hundreds of sharp crystalline <laughs> teeth that when removed are used by the Fremen as a weapon known as the Christ knife. Or the Chris Crystalline? Knife. Yes, the crystalline teeth. That's actually what is said in the book The Science of Dune, which I suggest you guys pick up. It's only 10 bucks. It was a pretty good read. Um, they are capable of moving across the desert at speeds of, um, I believe, hundreds of kilometers an hour, like 100, you know. Um, as no. And as a result, the ability of their, they're able to dive in and out and travel across the sand, they create an electrostatic discharge, which results in lightning. Finally, some science. Uh, um, which results in lightning uh. on its approach, also known as worm sign. So, mm. the life cycle. They begin their lives as sand plankton. Uh, the older ones eat these. They cannibalize them. All right, now, don't say anything yet. Don't, okay. don't, don't. That, no, not. That, that, that happens in nature all okay. the time. But... <laughs> They live on the spice melange until the next next cycle. So they eat their own feces and their own young. And then they become okay. the sand trout, flat, leathery creatures that are about three meters long, which burrow under the sand and block off the water from getting to the surface of the sand. They eventually grow. How do they do that? They just do it. Eventually, they grow to the <laughs> large worm, which reacts violently to water and avoids it at all costs. Okay. Um, they are carbon-based life, obviously. They're possible. They are, as I understand it, invertebrates, which is what they say in the book, even though we know it probably would make more sense for them to be snakes. The sound, yeah. the sand trout would have um, chemoautotrophic properties wherein they make, they make like the deep-sea life of Earth. Uh, they make food like the deep sea life of Earth, meaning that they use hydrogen two sulfide, um, is, and it's used to synthesize carbohydrates from CO two, as well as use the water they trap below the surface. It's believed that they produce asexually; they reproduce asexually, though they could also produce sexually. Right. Yes, it's it's not quite known. Even after thousands of years, it's still not quite known. 
Either way, it's plausible because asexual and sexual reproduction both exist. Uh, the sand trout mm -hmm. have a long, immature phase similar to the cicada, except a lot longer. Uh, they metamorphose okay. like animals on Earth. However, the size and toughness, we don't know about that. They appear to have yeah. an exoskeleton that can resist anything and up to including sometimes atomic blasts. Okay. However, if it is an exoskeleton, it must be molting or shedding its skin. And in yeah. several depictions, it indicates that it might be more po more possibly a vertebrate, more like the sand, more like a sand snake than a sand worm. This would indicate uh -huh. the apparent ability to uh, grow so large that I'm sorry, it would uh, help us understand it. Um, right. But but there's still a scaling problem with okay. them growing really big. But we'll get so how. So this is my question: How can they grow so large with such limited food sources? First of all. Is this self-deprecating life cycle possible, especially with the cannibalism <laughs> and removal of its own main food source over the course of thousands of years? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so as I understand it from the novels, the worm was brought there by another, by uh, from somewhere else. Probably humans, because there are only humans in the Dune universe. Uh -huh. um, I mean, later they talk about the... Um, Oh, the Tleilaxu, but they're those are still humans. It's like a colony life form. Um, okay. But anyway, uh, so humans must have brought it there at some point when it was a lush green environment, and that basically the worms terraformed it into uh, what it is now by the slow and. How did they even survive if they hate water? As the sand trout, they love water. Okay. So eventually, they just use up the water and bring it down to the. I mean, below the surface of the sand is pretty much what happens. Okay. Um, Leto Leto the second actually stops this from happening. He lets or he lets Arrakis mm. be become a lush green environment again and he okay. takes all the sand kraut into his own skin and creates he becomes the sandworm over like 5,000 years oh more magic okay so well, <laughs> they, it becomes a symbiotic relationship but anyway uh -huh. um, so I don't think it's possible over the course of thousands and thousands and thousands of years with no other food source that's described in the books or in the movies mm -hmm. for their or mm -hmm. with the lack of water for the for this yeah. life cycle to continue on for as long as it has yeah it can't without really. and I and mean, no magic no this is an alternate universe oh, no, 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 no. we're talking about the ultimate closed system right no other animals are coming in they're not describing other animals it <coughs> basically feeds on itself it is a it is a um, biome of a single animal yeah that's it and and it sustains itself by eating its own young, which means, okay, number one, when it produces young, it must produce a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Like, a lot. Which it does. Uh, which it does. It, yeah, I'm sure. It's thousands of sand trout, uh, or I'm sorry, sand plankton at a time. Mm -hmm. We have large creatures on this planet that live on very, very small things, but they eat a lot of them, mm -hmm. right? Blue whales they, eat krill. Yeah, they, they, and yeah, the baleen strain, pretty much, they're straining mm -hmm. all day. Yeah, and eat. they're finding yeah. they're finding their food sources and they're straining it through their baleen and then they take their tongue and they l basically lick it off and swallow it. And that's the gross. blue whales, huh? <laughs> I said that's what? gross. Well, it works for them. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that the sandworms with its gigantic mouth are doing similar, but they also must be swallowing an amazing amount of sand while doing it. Mm -hmm. Because Which apparently there, no... they can metabolize. <laughs> Uh -huh. So like, can I ask you a real quick question? Yeah. If these things mostly live on the, sand, what are they called? Sand fleas? Sand Sanders? trout and sand. Oh, no, not the sand trout, but sand plankton and spice. Sand plankton. Okay. 
Oh, and their own shit. <laughs> Why do they have sharp teeth? To defend the spice. Okay, so they defend the spice from each other? Well, I'm thinking that that's probably something, maybe something vestigial, and I'm saying maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe maybe over the course of thousands of years of evolution, they kept the teeth because they weren't hindering them from living, um, so they're just still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just mm-hmm. it, it, if, it, if it's not stopping you from reproducing, it'll stay. Okay. They still technically have right. very small tails. Technically, yeah, but we do. Uh, however, the teeth are still sharp and useful. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. They're not like blunt I mean, little not nubs that our, lining not the that our tail of its mouth. isn't useful. I understand that it's still at, that vestigial doesn't mean it has no mm-hmm. use. It's just repurposed. However, they appear to be like like sharp, and they they like oh a harvester. Let's eat that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, these creatures breathe. Yeah. How do they contribute to the oxygen that's in the atmosphere? So apparently their life cycle actually allow they, they it produces the oxygen that's in the atmosphere. The oxygen, the nitrogen, the argon, and the carbon dioxide, all within the life cycle of the worm. So Ow. eventually, thermodynamically, eating your own young, eating the spice melange, eating your yes. own body, and producing and <laughs> producing all the oxygen for a planet that is supposedly Earth slightly less than Earth sized. Uh-huh. I don't think eventually they would it would run out. Eventually, it would run out. Yeah. It would not be the able system to, would, it would fail. fail. It would fail. Yeah. yeah, but I'm curious as to how it's producing oxygen if it needs it. I, you know, in one of the books, they don't really. Disc- I mean, in one of the books on God Emperor of Dune, it says, <laughs> "So annoying." It's, so somebody fires a laser gun at the God Emperor, and and they okay. they do that at the at the worms and other books. Um, but it, it even the laser guns don't pierce the outer the outer rings. So um, okay. Plato the second is able to repel the laser gun. Uh, he takes a little bit of injury. It, it it cuts off a flap. But the it says he says oh it just it just um, converts the the energy to oxygen. And I'm like how how okay. it says, it hits the worm <laughs> it says this. I swear it says this. It converts the heat to oxygen. That is what it no. says. So Jesus. unless it is. It, it is unless the worm is capable of fusion, transmuting. Fusion is it magic? Magic fusion. So it yeah, takes, it must be magic fusion. So for all the each proton, it takes the heat and it makes and it makes an up two up quarks and a down quark for protons and then puts I them together guess. until it has enough for oxygen and then it's like oh I'll Maybe. make electrons out of nothing and then and then we need uh, to, I don't know. So here's a fun well, thing. I bet I could easily kill one of them big worms. How? Pour water on it? Because that's what they do. Well, number one, okay. What is the uh, conductive rate of your nervous system? How fast do signals travel along your nervous Pretty system? Pretty fast. How fast? I don't know. Oh, Jason, you have to tell me because I don't about, remember. About two hundred miles an hour. Oh, all right, all right. I... In a creature our size, two hundred miles an hour, two hundred miles an hour is nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Something traveling from our head down to our feet, nothing. That's no big deal. If I started to rip apart its tail, how long do you think it would take? For a three thousand meter um, dune worm to realize what I'm doing, a while, a little a while, or so. Yeah, maybe, maybe even more than that. Okay. If I could get a really good chunk out of it. <laughs> And, and I never, kept at it. I don't be- think they ever. I think that when so in one of the novels, uh, the Harkonnens tried to trap and keep a worm by exploding hundreds of after using a thumper, calling it using hundreds of grenades to explode around the worm so that it gets frightened. Uh-huh. And instead, it kills it. They used. I mean, it was it was like the only time you hear about them killing one. It's a small one, but then finally, when the Baron approaches it, uh-huh. it just collapses. It disintegrates. It leaves nothing behind. So what I'm thinking is, <laughs> if they are 
analytes and you split them in half, you get two of them, right? Am, am I wrong about Not this? in all cases, but... Well, okay, so let's not say, in all cases. like a lot of, like like other worms, you get two of them, right? Mm-hmm. But like in starfish, this one, they just sort of... That's not a, a worm, but... Yeah, in this one, mm-hmm. they it, it's a mollusk, right? Starfish? No, that's an echinoderm. An uh, echinoderm, yes, okay. Yes, Jason, you're better at this than I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> um, but when you when they explode them, when they kill them, they just disintegrate. They don't split into two. That's convenient. Yeah. So that it just kind of falls apart. A few things apart. that I wrote down in my notes: as an animal grows, its surface area grows. So that's a size to volume mm-hmm. issue with with the worms. When an animal mm-hmm. performs extraneous activity, heat as a there's there's heat as a result of, of the musculature and volume. Larger animals yeah. have a harder time dispersing heat. Although in the novels, yep. it's described when the mouth opens, it's like a it's like a burning furnace inside of them. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The sandworms don't ever sweat. Um, it's described as uh-huh. having a thermal working inside of the body, but not much detail. The book Science of Dune details that in order to get that large, it must have metal for bones, like titanium. Oh my god. Okay, wait. Yeah. It, well, in order for it to be able to sustain that size, it would have to have metal for bones. Right, and we, we never are treated to a description no. of a skeleton littering the landscape of Dune, yeah. right? Because they disintegrate when they die, mm-hmm. including Including the metal skeleton. So it can't be a metal skeleton. Yes. Oh, okay. you know. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I just realized something I want to talk about later. So. Well, okay. Yeah. Um, so these creatures are, for the most part, impossible. When, when I said, oh, good, at least one science thing, what I meant was these things are so large that when they move through our atmosphere, they would start building up an electrical charge, a static electrical charge, mm-hmm. which in turn would cause lightning to strike. That is true. If it's big enough and moving Wouldn't quickly enough. Wouldn't it have enough. to have moisture in the air, though, like a lot of it, though? I don't think you need moisture in the air in order to have lightning okay lightning is that just, lightning well, doesn't yeah, have much it, i mean the reason why we associate moisture in the air with lightning is because it is large thunderclouds moving through the atmosphere that is building up a, a charge and so it's usually in wet environments although sometimes we get lightning with no clouds in yeah the sky. it comes from the ground yeah well the the lead the it was it the lead comes from the ground first and touches with the yes okay exactly. i got struck by lightning i told you that <laughs> yes you did. Uh, well dissipated <laughs> Lightning with lightning, nonetheless. <laughs> no wonder I'm so fucking crazy. Um, okay, so there were into the bin with. All right. Yeah, so obviously, what are we saying about the worm? Probably not possible. The worm is highly. I, I mean, I don't want to rule out anything altogether, but it is highly unlikely that a creature like that could develop. I'm not going to touch the crystalline teeth because how it's growing those. Maybe I, I don't know. And, especially, yeah. I don't think that. Um, I mean, unless the adult population of worms was extraordinarily low and the amount of eggs that they produce is absurdly high it's a closed system right it's a closed i mean we live in a closed system as well right but we have checks and we have checks and balances well i mean we're killing them right now but yeah (laughs) yeah we're we're destroying them right now australia is on fire guys So, I mean, I just, it seems highly unlikely that such an ecosystem could develop, especially if they're foreign invaders. I mean, granted, foreign invaders come in all the time, they wreak havoc wherever they go, but these things wouldn't have enough for the outrageous caloric intake they need in order to maintain bodies that can reach 3,000 meters long, Mm -hmm. right? Can you imagine how much how much food something that large would have to have to intake into its body just to stay alive for more than a, a couple of it days? It would have to be eating constantly. Yeah, all day. Yeah. It constantly. wouldn't have time. It wouldn't have time to do much of anything else. And also, if it's eating its shit, shit is the stuff that you don't want anymore. <laughs> 
because it's not nutritionally and it's, it's eating its young. There's not a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, and it's eating its young. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So uh, a couple okay. other things they talk about the Bene Gesserit breeding program, which uh, they're okay. saying would eventually produce the Kwisatz Haderach or the universe's super right. being. So in the novels, mm-hmm. females cannot ob- obtain this. They cannot obtain this status. It's it's impossible. Only Why? a male can do it. And his exp- I, my explanation, but because it, it's never really explained, is that the in the females they have the XX chromosome, so they can only access the female breeding lines of their genetic memory, which is another thing that's in that's talked about in the novel. But G- genetic memory, okay. okay. Uh, and males have the XY chromosome which helps them go through the male and the female avenues which would help them pretty much know uh, like uh, all of their ancestors going back to you know for forever all the way going back all the way to the <laughs> single cell as far as oh, genetic God. memory goes uh, okay um and uh, he describes a her, Frank Herbert actually describes a lot of inbreeding yeah. <laughs> without any without many negative effects. Uh, in yeah. no, um, and well, the son the son actually does talk about this in in the, in his novels. But we're talking about Frank. It's not in in the movie. They just describe it as creating a super being. But in the books, he talks about it as if as if you could just constantly find really good genetic stock. And what he and and the the thing about it that bothers me is he is I think that he is under the impression that good looking means good looking thin and muscular mm-hmm. automatically means genetically healthy. Right. He is wrong. That yes, is he no is. indicator of of good genetic health. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's my as far as my education and evolution. If somebody is pretty, that tells you absolutely nothing about whether or not they have good genetics. Uh, so all of nope. the Atreides are handsome. All the all the people that they breed in are handsome. Even the Harkonnens are handsome. They just happen to have mm-hmm. uh, red hair that makes them stand out from everybody else. However, in the book, spoiler, Paul is a Harkonnen. He is actually, yep. the families have actually been inbred a few times throughout the history of the genetic mm-hmm. breeding program. And the lastly, it's supposed to be that Paul is supposed to be a, a, a female, but the mother, <laughs> while she's pregnant, can choose. Can decide. Which she can't. Can It is actually no. the sperm that decides what the, the sex of the baby is going to uh-huh. be. Uh, can choose to make it a male. <laughs> Which she did because she was doing it for her husband. Right. Um, also. And Paul, through years of, ge- of genetic inbreeding, isn't some web-toed, wall-eyed. And <laughs> he's supposed to remarry. <laughs> and she, this this female uh, Atreides, is supposed to remarry the Harkonnen. And that next generation is supposed to produce the Kwisatz Haderach. The universe's right. super being. Which would be the Bene Gesserit's ultimate production. Ta-da. And what they would use him for is his psychic abilities, his prescient abilities, and political power to make the Bene Gesserit the coolest club in the whole uni. I don't know. Uh-huh. That, that's pretty much what it is. So basically what 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 is presented in the books is more like eugenics. It's about the aesthetic. Yeah. This is this looks great. This is the this is white people are the best. And anything that doesn't look like a white person is lower than <laughs> Lower than that, because we're using the white However, person as the standard of perfection. This story follows the standard hero and white savior complex story. And uh, yeah, what color are the Fremen? Where are they? What they're they're? I don't know. Remember him ever describing what color they're they Middle are. East? They're more Middle Eastern. Oh, are they really? They're dark skinned. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, great. This follows the white savior trope to a T. By the uh, way, to a T. Yeah, it does. Um. 
They're more. They're so more in the book. Dances they're more wolves, aware. Th- think about Avatar. Think yeah. about. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, I'm I'm cool. I'm going to watch these people. Now I go native and marry one of their thing. And, and now I'm cool and I save them from destruction because I'm so awesome because I'm white. In the books, <laughs> Jessica, Jessica and Paul are more aware of the fact that at first they're manipulating these people by exploiting their beliefs. But then it just turns out that Paul happens to be the greatest thing since sliced fucking bread on Arrakis. And he buys into the whole, you know, savior from the outer world, all that stuff stuff because they had a bunch of prophecies too yeah uh, which were implanted by the Benny Gesserit just in case they happened to be stranded on the planet they could come and go Oh, yes. In my genetic memory, I remember Reverend Mother Romalo, who was the Reverend Mother of the, yeah. the Fremen. And she, right. they had a legend which a one will come and save them and bring them to true freedom. And Reverend and Reverend Ma- Re- Mother Romalo actually confronts Jessica about this. She's like, you're pretty good at using our shit to get in here, but it's yeah. okay because, right. well, we kind of need you. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, so what's next? Uh, genetic memory. Is that possible? However, no. wait, 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 wait. So, there there are certain things uh, as a result of our evolution that are there when we are born. Uh, you know, um, the ability to uh, react, blink when bright light is flashed in our eyes. They check for these things when a baby's born. It's lizard brain yeah, stuff. Yeah, uh, which would I, you know, you could call it genetic memory. However, remembering my father's memory right up until the point when his sperm exited his, you know, prostate and was shot into my mom and remembering my the, the all the memories of my mother right up until the egg descended into the fallopian tube and the things that's not possible not no no not and that's what they promote in both the book and a little bit in the movie not quite but it's kind of there right Okay. Cool idea. Round one. Yeah. yeah. Here's some stuff that I, I liked. and uh, Just little tiny things. Can I bring up some yeah, little yeah. tiny well, things Did from the you want to do a, the still suit first? That's oh, yeah. Let's do the still suit. Okay. So I have a quote. I have a, okay. Quote is, it's basically a micro sandwich high efficiency filter with a heat exchange system. The skin's contact porous, uh, porous layers. Perspirate, perspiration passes through it, having cooled the body near normal evaporation uh, process. The next two layers include heat exchange filaments and salt precipitators and where salt is Reclaimed. The motion of the body, especially breathing, and some osmotic modic action provide the pumping force. Reclaimed water circulates to catch pockets, which you can draw through this, this tube at the clip at your neck. It might yeah. be more hazardous than described. <coughs> than described. Uh, it needs to, the, the thing about it is, I in the book that I read, which is the, the Science of Dune, what, what this person describes is uh, the water needs to evaporate first. And in the way that this, the micro sandwich filter is described as being slick against the body, it has no chance yeah. to evaporate. It's just being put into the filter. It's being drawn yeah. up. It's probably using capillary action to be drawn up into the suit. And you, you, the reason you sweat, guys, and I don't know if I have to tell you this, but the reason we sweat, human beings, not a whole lot of mammals sweat. In fact, I don't think any mammals sweat, but the reason we sweat is so that we can cool our bodies down, right? Well, also, I mean, there's a couple so I mean there's that well yeah <laughs> but it mostly is is that which we it wouldn't be sweating la- but I guess I mean it's just yeah we put a surface layer of moisture on our skin which evaporates which then cools us down right that's why when you're in the desert you dehydrate fucking fast oh, yeah. is because you're trying to cool off why isn't that tiny bucket of sand think of Spongebob when he entered uh, Sandy's Sandy's realm without without water I'm fine <laughs> <laughs> 
Other animals have come up with different methods to cooling their blood down. Some have grown very large ears that have a lot of capillaries within them. They fan the ears back and forth like an African elephant so that they can cool, uh, you know, cool their blood down. Um, certain rabbits that live in desert environments grow very large ears, which also do the same thing. Other animals don't do anything during the daytime and only come out at night, especially mammals. Mammals, most most mammals that live in the desert are night nocturnal creatures where it drops, the temperature drops down. They've got a nice furry coat on. They can go out and yeah, it gets really humans, cold in the though. desert. No, not humans. So here you go. You put on this form-fitting still suit, which doesn't allow you to, it doesn't cool you down. It's basically, you're drawing moisture up into you would what end I would up imagine. You would like a saggy suit full of your own sweat. <laughs> what I picture, okay, guys, I went, okay, slosh, in San Francisco, slosh, there's a thing, <laughs> there's, in San Francisco, there's a thing called the Folsom Street Fair, and that's where everyone with a kink goes and buys whips and paddle boards and people are getting spanked in public and everyone's wearing their BDMS gear. One year, there is a gentleman, a slightly overweight gentleman, who is wearing a uh, a head body, a latex bodysuit, all the way up from his neck, down to his wrists, down to his feet, right? He had sprung a leak that was spraying water out of, uh, I think from his side. That was all of his sweat just pooling and the man was dehydrating as I looked at him. He was not, he was not happy. The act of collecting water next to your skin does not cool you off. It's the act of it evaporating off your skin that cools you down. And the still suit would have to replicate that and cool you down. So there would actually have to be space in between, but also an area for it to evaporate into. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it would actually make you hotter. Yes, it would. It would make you hotter, and um, you would probably sweat more. Now, I didn't. I never understood why the still suit for the sweat, because you lose a lot of. Um, and they cover this with the still suit. You lose a lot of moisture by breathing. Mm-hmm. Okay, just by breathing. So you, let's say you just put something over your nose and mouth. You breathe out. It collects that water. It goes into a pouch. You drink it. You're not collecting all the water, but at least you still have the advantage of sweating and having your body cool down, right? But in the movie, not only does it collect your sweat, what else? does it collect yeah, piss and shit and it processes them in the right? pads <laughs> in the thigh pads you're walking around <laughs> squish 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 well not anymore because it's processing that poop and i suppose it, i guess it's drying it out uh i guess so what i thought was like where does the solid material go but they they take off the still suits and supposedly empty them out and and like and like shake them out you're supposed to drink all of the water from the catch pockets once you come into seat. Right. And then you right. and so that all of the water is inside of your body because that's the best place to keep it, which is true. Right. Um yeah. in, in this universe that's that's true. Um and then you're mm-hmm. supposed to empty empty the suit out of, of the solid material. Okay. Um when you take the suit off and you're in town and after you've drank all your water in your body, yeah. when you pee, where are you where are you peeing? Into the suit. Wait, you're, wait. No, wait, no, wait. no. Remember, they take their suits off when they get to the siege. Oh, they Oh, when they, you mean when they they take it oh they're probably a cistern yeah we're we're not fucking camels we just can't keep the water in us all the time it's gonna go through our there's system. actually a uh, in the book there's a lot of weights and measure systems and in the version of the movie that's actually three hours long there is a scene with him i think that in that he trades the rings for how much water he gives in order to get to get protection from the Fremen. Okay. Yeah. And um, so any water that you're not using can be put into a cistern and saved there. Okay, so they have like a collection system for all your pee-pee. Yeah. You don't have to pee in something and keep it and say, this is my water, nobody touch it. Uh, you probably probably don't pee that much. If you just drank all your water, you're still going to pee. All right. I'm just thinking about how uh, I have a, di- a lot of dialysis patients. And uh, yeah. once their blood has been filtered, put back in their body, it actually it takes 
takes them quite a while to urinate. Yeah. Oh, does yeah, it really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It takes them quite a while. They mm-hmm. t- they can sometimes, but it's like orange. Well, they're getting dialysis because their kidneys aren't working anymore. Yeah. But so the other, the extra water is siphoned off. And they're mm. usually on a fluid restriction. I would like to think that something like a still suit could be developed, but it has the problem with the, with the heat developing, you know, the heat building up. It's why you don't see a whole lot of skin tight stuff when we, when we, yeah, when I'm when running, we go I, to an excru- I am constantly losing water. And if I'm wearing a, even a spandex shirt, it's mm-hmm. too hot. It becomes slick and gross and it's disgusting. And I have to take it off and tuck it into my pants. And your sweat is not doing its job. And the minute you take it off, I bet you feel better. Oh, I do feel better. But yeah, I mean, at that, at, at a certain point, like after an hour or so, sweating doesn't do any good. It's not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. So still suits. Blah. Okay. So I All had, right. um, you have a little little things from the movie itself. I have a, I just have one little thing that I think is scientifically possible, but super gross. Right. That's from the book. What? Heart Plugs. Uh, yeah, no, that's not in the book. It's not in the book, but it is in, it the, is movie. in the movie. And what is a heart plug in that the is, movie? That is plausible. So it, it actually is a, a yes, ring it is. that, that it... goes around the aorta. <laughs> and if and if they're pissed off at you, they they pull it and it severs the aorta, killing the person like pretty pretty much instantaneously. <laughs> which is kind of cool because the Baron actually does this to it. He's this little do it, he's dude. Like, he's like, <laughs> and then he pulls the heart plug and he's like, ah, letting the blood spray all over him. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. While he fucks and they him. put one and they put one in um uh through for highway um so uh mm-hmm. mentats human computers is it possible okay. for a person to compute faster than a computer um no are, are you sure I'm pretty sure uh, there are there no thoughts move faster than than our present computers you think? oh yeah oh yeah I'm pretty sure of that actually our computers can't even replicate mm. if it, if our computers could replicate the speed of human thought and consciousness that we would have AI like like already sky level i'm pretty sure of it now any of the programmers want to come in and say nah no it's pretty fast whatever i'm i'm okay (laughs) with being corrected on that because it's not it's not really my area but i'm pretty sure that we can't replicate the speed of human uh, human thinking it's pretty fast I think when we were getting into abstract mathematics, yes, but when it comes to common mathematics, no. Okay. Um, so, um, can you blow up a mountainside with an atomic bomb? No. no. <laughs> um, In the movie, they blow up the shield with wall. With one. Atomics! <laughs> Thank you, Gurney. <laughs> <clears throat> Now they blow it up. Now it would have been. Now we don't know how big of a atomic weapon they were using, right? But up, oh, you've gone. Mute. I'm here. No, oh, okay. I was letting you. We don't know talk. how. Okay, we don't know how large of a nuclear device they were using. Uh, as I understand right? it, the books, it's the similar. It's the size of the largest ones we have now. Okay. Now the shield wall is this massive wall that shields Arrokeen, which is the capital city of, or the main. It's city. It's like a crescent that surrounds the city. Right, and it's called a shield wall because it protects the city from. From the horrible, horrible storms they get on and on Arrakis, and the sandworms. They blow it open. Sandworms come in. The wind, the storm comes in. Everything's awful. They've just ruined that city for everybody. <laughs> Except when Paul just refashions it with a in the next book with a a pyramid that is ten times larger than <laughs> than the ones in uh, Egypt. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it's so enormous and grandiose. He's like, I'm Paul. I'm the emperor. Fuck you guys. (laughs) 
Um, but no, there isn't. There isn't an atomic weapon that can destroy a mountain, and that's how big these shield walls yeah. are. Yeah. Right. You could destabilize it, but I mean, to blow it up completely. Number one, it would be an explosion. Number, one, it's an atomic weapon. So now you've just exploded a mountain. So you filled the entire area with radioactive fallout. Yep. <laughs> Which I guess doesn't bother anybody, oh, right? Oh, in the book, they are mad because it because they supposedly accuse him of defying the great convention of using atomics against a, against a house in house-to-house warfare. Uh, and then Paul explains by saying uh, that he used it against the shield wall, not against the people. So they can't, they can't oh, accuse him of it. Oh, what a clever little boy he and is. And 18-year-old. But anyway, again, that's not the movie. So anything from okay, the... So-, so in the movie, I remembered... Alia does make he she reaches up after she stabs the Baron with the Gom Jabbar and she makes him spin uh-huh. around and go into the, <laughs> into the Does she do it or does it no, just she's happen? Spinning her finger around and what we're supposed to gather is that she I didn't notice she's that she's psychically making him spin around and then go out into the storm. <laughs> there is one big thing in the in the movie that's not in the books. What's that? Oh the the weirding module? Fuck that thing. The weirding the module. Dumbest fucking thing ever. So, I don't care. The weirding module are this thing that you wear it's like a headset with a microphone that attaches to a thing on your wrist that attaches to a gun mm-hmm. right and the way they explain it in the movie is is that what is it your Their voice turns into has a form the form is it is a sound the sound has a has a actual shape that can be turned into a projectile weapon does does is any of that real at all? It sounds like I'm listening to Deepak Chopra. <laughs> also, hey, how about the voice? Now, I do. Oh, we haven't talked uh, about the okay, voice so yet. Okay, so my thing is, uh, there are people in this world who have commanding voices and charismatic voices. That if they speak and ask a person for a thing, there is something about the way they're talking, has nothing to do with being psychic, that could manipulate a person into doing what they want them to do. However, we're pretty we're pretty good at ignoring that kind of stuff. It's not like uh, the force. Yeah. Uh, it's not, you know, but if you know <laughs> what you're looking for, you can avoid that. However, again, the right. sound of their voice and the, and the thing, the way that they're wording it and what they're asking... Could quite quite uh-huh. possibly get you manipulate a person into doing a thing that they would not normally do. But it could not get them to murder yes. someone. Yes, no need. They couldn't to walk fight up to someone me. and go, "Hello, I'm Christopher Lee. Stab him." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Christopher Lee, I'll stab anybody for you, <laughs> just because you asked. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's not a thing either. No. Because they get them to do all sorts of stuff. Yes. Remove her gag. <laughs> and I think we've just about covered it. That's everything from the Is movie, there right? Anything Head else to toe. In the movie? Well, the water of life. Um, oh, mean, here we go. The water of life. Okay, the... So it's a poison extracted from the bile of the infant, the young sandworm. And it is a drug that when uh, the Reverend Mother takes it, she is supposedly supposed to, with her utter, utter control of her body, to chemically manipulate it so that it is no longer a poison. It. Literally moving yeah. linkages around in the chemicals. They describe <laughs> Jessica doing this to convert it to a the spice drug. So that it can then be mm-hmm. consumed in a spice orgy free of poisonous effects. Right. No. <laughs> 
first of all, that power doesn't exist, and second of all, no, no. I don't know of any drug that, that no. where it's poisonous could you imagine a creature that you that give could... to your mom, and your mom's like, oh, hold on, and then she squeezes it out of her tit, and it turns into a, it turns into something else that's not so poisonous. Could you imagine if we had animals on this planet that could convert the poisons that plants produce into not poison in their guts? Oh, I mean, there's got to be wouldn't... some animal like that. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Well, I mean, there are plenty. Okay, but humans, one, no. I mean, okay. So we we ingest both caffeine and nicotine, which are poisons that those plants produce to keep insect predators okay, away. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but it's not extremely but, hazardous for us. It's not hazardous Except to in us. It's hazardous, doses. right? Exactly. So we're not transmuting jack shit. We're just eating. Yeah, and then and in the has, book and, and in the movie, she takes a only a small amount. Mm-hmm. And she's still, and, she, and it's something that she has to think about. Yeah, she has to right? be consciously aware of everything that is going on. <coughs> and this right. is what actually causes the woman to become a reverend mother. She becomes consciously mm. aware of every cell in her body, and then also the genetic memory of every woman into her past, as well as Boy. taking the memories of the former reverend mother and every memory of every reverend mother of every person that that person has in their genetic line into her body. That's right. what happens. And and what is she when she does this? A reverend mother. Pregnant. Oh, she's pregnant, which <laughs> changes Alia so that she also has all of those memories when she is born. Right. None of this is possible. <laughs> no. However, I mean, if you take drugs right. when you're pregnant, it definitely fucks up the kid. And Alia <laughs> ends up pretty fucked up later on. No oh boy, does she ever. She's She's got her grandpa living in her Which head. is strange because, and I think that it's only for Alia, because they're not supposed to be able to access the genetic, the females are not supposed to be able to access the genetic memory of the male line, but that that's what makes Alia strange, is that she has that male line that she can access for some reason or another. Uh, so we're done. We're done. We're, we're done. done. We're done. Yeah. We're done. Professor Blake, yeah. what grade will you give Dune the motion picture? Uh, C minus. Oh, really? It still passes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because at least, you know what? At least there is an attempt. Mm, there's a lot of explaining going on for certain things. Yes, explanations you know? that don't make any sense. But I think at least there's an attempt. At least there's an attempt. I come up. Yeah, I don't know. I'm giving it a D. Oh, a D is not D a D mi- still almost, passing. I know, like a D minus. All right, I'll give it a D plus. Like, like it needs work. You need work. Need work. There's, there's no real science in, in Dune. Not really. I mean, S- attempt. Just because people explain things doesn't mean they're, they're, it, they're in-world explanations, which isn't like a science. Well, that, thing. yeah, but that's how science fiction works, though. Yes, exactly. That's how science fiction which works. Which is fun and but, happy, I mean, but oh, whatever. I'm gonna make it repeat. I'm. It, it's getting a D minus. See me after class. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna call its parents. Hello. <laughs> tell the grade Dune, your grades are going down. I think you're probably trying to date some boy or girl, and that's He's, taking up all yeah, your free time. Also, you're, you're here to learn, damn pot, it. You know, <laughs> you're smoking the pot. Yeah. All right, Jason. Hey, <laughs> so we got to do this again. Yeah. So what? Uh, what movie do you want to do? Well, I think it's time for us to go back to a genre that we covered before, but this one's going to be a little bit different. Oh no. We're going to go back to superheroes. <laughs> oh great. <laughs> Last time we did it, we did Spider-Man, and we turned him into a, a oh, horrible What are you choosing? What are you choosing? But this time, I think we're going to try a different kind of superhero and see if he stands up to oh scientific God, scrutiny. If you do Man of Steel, I'll punch you in the dick. <laughs> <laughs> don't make me watch that movie. Please don't. The next movie that we're going to <laughs> take a look at 
is uh, the rebirth of uh, uh, what I think is everybody's favorite superhero. We're going to take a look at Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins. Oh, all right. Do his gadgets work? Can you microwave something while it's traveling in a pipe? <laughs> uh. <laughs> Can you send out a signal from something that's kept in your heel that attracts bats from, I don't know, 20 miles away? We'll find out. When we throw Batman Begins Into on the our examination table. <laughs> well, you want to do all three of them? <laughs> no, just the one. All righty, all righty. Well, maybe we'll do all three. We'll uh, see. Well, I, we'll man, see. I, would, I just like watching The Dark Knight. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just uh-huh. love that fucking movie. Although Batman but if Begins we do all three, is a good popcorn flick. Uh, good. Okay. All right. So thank you for joining us at the Cinetific Institute. I have been Professor Jason. And Mark. I was Professor Atticus Blake. And we the, put uh, we put the science in still suits, where it <laughs> no. excretes poop where? into your shoes that squishes around near your toes, and you waffle stomp them into the drain when you get in the shower. Please, please <laughs> join us at the Scientific Institute, where we put the science in fiction. Their skin would be so tough because of all the urine. It would be so tough. <laughs> they would be worms themselves. It would be like the sandworms. The oh, constant urine. All right. Okay, no more. <laughs> drink your own pee. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> Did you drink your pee today, young Fremen? Yes, I drank all <laughs> of it. the pee out of mine into the plant. Good. Now go into that room and lick the tears off of your grandmother's face. I will. <laughs> all righty, all righty. All right. Bye, bye everybody. everybody. Cinetific is a Let Me Listen podcast production with Jason Harding and Atticus Blake. You can find more Let Me Listen podcasts at our website at lemmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes under Let Me Listen. Please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find us on Facebook, Pinterest, and Twitter. Cinetific is also a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to contribute just $1 a month to support this podcast or any of the other podcasts that Lemmy Listen produces, please visit our page at Patreon. Just search for Lemmy Listen Podcasts, or you can click the Patreon link on our website. And thanks for listening.